0: You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. My favorite way to uh, study Scripture is expositorily and, and go verse by verse or take a passage, and look at the context, but there is room for us to examine scripture topically. And so we want to do that tonight. I want to to help somebody. Turn to somebody and tell them he wants to help you tonight. Amen. Tell them he wants to help you. I want to help somebody tonight. And uh, I will be uh, 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 sharing some just experience, I guess, some things that I've learned experientially uh, tonight, but I want to help somebody. And as pastor, I want to admonish somebody. So there may be a point of conviction uh, uh, where tonight you look and say, Oh, oh Lord, help me. And uh, that is intended for you, if you feel that in the spirit, that is intended for God to let you know that there is grace that things can change in your life. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Amen. So one thing we have to offer, and that is hope in the house, that things don't have to stay the same. This is very spiritual, what I'm going to talk about, but this is extremely practical, what I'm going to talk about. In fact, I would dare say this that this ultimately will be, this topic will ultimately be a measure for the spirituality in your life and a measure for maturity in your life. In other words, this, if you don't get this right... Well, it's probably telling on you in other areas of your life, and it doesn't matter how much you run and jump and scream and shout and speak in tongues and whatever else, if these two areas of your life are not falling in line with the Word of God, then they probably are big indicators that there's trouble beneath the surface of the waters. The topic I want to talk to you about tonight is this, money and people, issues for life, issues for life, money and people. I would contend that outside of salvation itself, outside of where you and I will spend eternity, that these two topics will become perhaps some of the biggest issues for us in life. Now, some people, that may not be true for everyone. There may not be... Uh, This may not be an issue in every context in the world, but specifically here in our Western context, in our modern society here, two things that become big issues in our life are money and people, money and people. And there is sometimes a witness of how much we don't have a control on these areas in our life. There is testimonies. There are telltale signs that are manifest in our life that we don't have a control in these areas of our life. And if you don't have control of these areas in your life, then probably, probably You're not leveraging the spirit of the Lord, and you're definitely not walking in the principles of the precepts of the Lord in your life. Now, I do understand that every single one of us have been at a place or are in a place where we need money. Can I get an amen? Amen. And I also understand that every one of us, every single one of us, have definitely been in a place where we've had what we would say people problems in our life at some point in time. I'm not going to contend that because you need money or because you have people problems that you are not saved, that you are not spiritually mature, But there is a broader pattern, there is a broader spectrum that I think is worth and important for us to examine in our lives. So these are two things that are very practical and yet very spiritual, and we want to look at them by the help of the Lord together. Two issues in your life, money and people. Everybody say it, money. Everybody say people. People. Or another word we could use is relationships. Relationships. The first thing I'd like to let you know is that both of these will be issues for life. You will never be rid of money issues, and you will never be rid of people issues. If you don't have enough money, you're going to have an issue with that. If you have too much money, you're going to have an issue with that as well. Somebody said, well, I'd like to have the trouble of having too much money. Well, the grass is always greener, let's say, on the other side. Let's first look at this topic of money. And if you will, I want to ask you a question. Here's the question that I would propose to you. This is a big question. Do you manage money or does money manage you? Do you manage money or does money manage you? If we were going to sum up this whole thing, that would be the question that we were asking. That would be the thing that we were going to ask. I don't know if I told them to put that on the screen. I don't think I did, but if there's any way you can put that on the lower third in there, just put that question. Do you manage money Or does money manage you? I'm throwing something at them, and we're getting ready to go to Scripture, so so if they can't get that, don't fault them. This is a big question. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, Paul says something interesting. He says this, For the love of money is the root of all evil. Can you read that with me? For the love of money is the root of all evil. He goes on and says, "...which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows." He says, "...because they chased after money, their life actually was filled with sorrow." Now, I want us to note here that money is not the problem. The problem was not money. The problem was what they coveted. It was what they loved and they exalted money to such a place that they were in transgression of the second commandment given by Moses when in Exodus 20 and 3, he said this, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now here is what Paul says. The love of money is the root of all evil. It is a philosophical point if you will Paul was not saying that the root of all evil was was the uh, 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 was the thing that caused uh, original sin he was not saying money was the problem of sin but he says the love of money is the root of all evil Evil, He says all evil, all evil and all iniquity. What is money? Money is simply some kind of a monetary, it's a, it's, it's a note, a note of value, a treasury note, something that witnesses or testifies that if I take this, I can exchange this in kind for something that I do not have. Money is something that I possess that gives me the ability, if you will, to be able to exchange Change something for something that I do not possess. What he says is the root of all evil is not money, but it's the love of money. It is the desire. It is the greed. It is the coveting that says, I will trade something I have to get something I do not have. He says, this is the root of of all evil. How is that possible? How is this wrong? Because in the believer's life, in the Christian's life, and if we go back to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve were before sin entered into this earth, into humanity, Adam and Eve had everything that they needed and more. They had everything that they needed and more. The whole world literally was theirs, but yet Satan lied to them and convinced them that God was holding out on them and convinced them to exchange something God had given them for something they did not have. And because they allow that covetousness to get inside of their heart, they exchange their innocence. They exchange their purity. They exchanged the blessing of God to get something they did not have. Knowledge of things they didn't need to know. Knowledge of things that would not enhance their life. And can I tell you money still operates in that same deception today because there is a lie that is attached to it that says if you can just have this, You can have everything that you need and everything that you want. And I'm here to testify that the Bible goes on record time and time and time again, that Jesus is all you need, all right. that God is all you need. Yeah. Amen. You don't need money. Amen. When you've got a God, amen, that can provide. Right, right, right. Yes. Amen. Thank you. Well, yes. it's Wednesday night. It's cold outside. A lot of snow on the ground. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? I, 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 I'm going to be a little bit pastoral tonight. Amen. We can fall for the trap that we just need money, and money's going to answer everything in our life. If you have fallen for that trap, I'm here to say, now, now does God use money? Mm-hmm. Yes, he uses money. Praise God. Thank God he uses money. He blesses with money. God helps. There's nothing wrong with money. We're not talking about money. But going back to the question, do you manage money or does money manage you? That's the big question in your life. So here's the thing. I want to ask you a couple questions. How do you manage money? How do you manage money? Three qu- three things we'll touch on real quick, and then we got to go on to the next. I'm not an expert. Uh, uh, let me just go on. What's that? I, need to make, I feel like I need to make a legal disclaimer, Sister Harris. I'm not a financial expert. So anything that I say here is just subject to my own opinion. Is this all right? Is that how they say that right when they get up and say, I'm not a medical advisor or anything else? I'm not I'm not a financial expert. Amen. All I can tell you is that the word of God works. Yeah. Yes, it does. Amen. So this is a big thing right now. This is a big thing. We're in a pandemic. Why are you talking about this, Pastor? Well, we're in a pandemic. And people are in a situation where there's some tough times. Money is a tough thing. And, and money is the answer. People are thinking money is the answer. And our government's saying money is the answer. And we've got to get the answer for all this. And I'm here to contend I've been in the place. I've been in the place where I know how much $50 can make or break you. I have lived there. I've been there when someone gives you 20 bucks and you realize, wow, I needed this. This is going to get me through now. I think I'm I think I'm going to keep my head above the water. I know what that's like. I've, I've, I've lived in that place. So I don't want you to feel like I have not lived in that place. But money is not alone going to solve any of your problems. Amen. 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 I feel like I'm all by myself up here tonight. And I think you're just thinking because praise God, you're thinking. So how you manage money. This is good stuff. Thank you. Somebody said this is good. I can't see you, but I hear you. Number one, discipline. Discipline. How do you discipline? How do you discipline yourself with your money? How do you discipline yourself with your money? If money, if money is something over which you never exercise self restraint, then I would contend that money is managing you and you are not managing money. Some people say, well, the Lord will never, Pastor, I just need this. I need this. The Lord will never put more on you than he can bear. That's true. God will never put more on us than we can bear, but we sure can. Amen. Uh, Amen. Sometimes we bring our problems to the Lord and say, Lord, lift this burden. God, I'm carrying this cross. He's like, yep, but I didn't give you that cross. You put that cross on you. Amen? Amen. There's a principle that we don't like. I'm I'm a big proponent of... Of, of living biblically, and and Dave Ramsey is of course no uh, stranger to the phrase "live like no one else, so you can live like no one else." And he, of course, is probably one of the most popular, but there's a host of of awesome Bible-believing, principled uh, 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 financial advisors. If you have money problems, I would encourage you to get a hold of this. Thank God that I had some people in my life at a young age speaking of my life. When Janelle and I first got married, we listened to this stuff. We started implementing this stuff. God blessed us through setbacks and different things. God's always been faithful, and I thank God for that, but there's a principle, live like no one else, so you can live like no one else, and that was that was his trademark quote, and then Dave Ramsey now almost always, and all of his co-hosts almost always say this, live like no one else, so you can give like no one else. You ever, ever felt like, man, I want to be able to give, I want to be able to give to the kingdom of God when those offerings come through or those things come through. And some people have the desire to give, but you never have the desire to give because you're not living with self restraint in your own life, living beneath your means. There's some stats that I heard today. I don't know where they were from. I, I saw a friend, a pastor was sharing them on Twitter. He was citing his source and I haven't been able to find out his source yet, but I thought it was some interesting things that he put out there. Only 5% of Christian believers actually uh, give on a regular basis in tithing or whatever to a regular basis. Only 5% of quote-unquote Christians actually give on a regular basis. He said of the average Christian, most of those, the average Christian, so if only 5% are giving, you've got 5% making up the other end of the spectrum for 95%, so the average has got to come way down. But he said the average Christian only gives, I think it was 990 some dollars a year to their local church. And, and And while the amount is not critical or important, he said, The other stat was this, that the average American will spend $1,300 a year on media. $1,300 a year on media. The thing is this, if you don't know how to live beneath your means, you'll never be able to give, not only to God, but to give to somebody else. You're never going to be enabled to be used in the kingdom of God. If you don't know how to live beneath your means, you're never going to be able to live with foresight, which saves for a rainy day, which is owning up to reality that Life isn't always perfect. Got to get an amen? amen. Amen. So is there discipline? in your money life. You say, Pastor, why are you taking so much time to talk on this? Because I'm trying to help somebody implement some scripture into your life because if you, thank God that you come to church. We're Pentecostal, so I want you to come to church every service. I want you to come to church and I want you to pray through in the Spirit. Not only every service, I I wish it would happen every single day. I hope every morning that you get up, that you could pray. I hope you are praying. You could say, God, I need your help and I need your I need your blessing and all this stuff in my life. And, and, and go through the whole thing. Live by his word. Live devotionally. But if you are not letting what happens here get inside of your heart, get inside of your car, go home and get inside of your home, amen, you can undo. <laughs> You can can make of no effect some of the other things in your life. Now, I praise God for everyone that has mastered this in your life. Discipline, how much you are able to self-restrain yourself. The second thing, how you manage money. Number one was discipline. Number two, the second thing, how you manage money is learning to make wise choices. Somebody say wise choices, wise Wise choices. You've got to make wise choices in your life. Amen. I have seen people and known people who have told me I have a call of God on my life and I want to go such and such a place, but they have so much debt in their life that they cannot pick up and follow and walk in the ways of God. I'm not making these stories up, folks. These are not hypotheticals. I know people who have had a call of God to go to the mission field. But when you go and sit down and say, I want to be a missionary, one of the most important requirements is not only that you be filled with the Holy Ghost and have boldness to be able to walk into a place and and and, and to encounter and break and tear down strongholds and do all that kind But another thing is you got to be able to know how to make a dollar stretch a whole lot longer i okay. And if you're saddled in debt and buried in death, debt, there's a lot of people, people sometimes get upset and say, well, they won't let me, I wanted to be a missionary and they wouldn't let me be a missionary. Well, yeah, that was because you had hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt and you got to take care of this before you can go on and help somebody else. You've got to make wise choices. So number one uh, or n- number two is learning to make wise choices. Under number two, I'd say this, we've got to seek and we've got to implement godly principles in our life. I talked earlier in discipline about living with self-restraint. Live like no one else so you can live like no one else or give like no one else. But also, you've got to learn to limit risk in life. How do you do that? By delaying gratification. One of the biggest things that we have right now in America, and I was encouraged by this, when the last stimulus went out, they said that American savings went up higher than it's been, and I don't know how many marks. More Americans took their stimulus and were saving than they were spending. That was a good thing. That was an encouraging thing for our society. But delaying gratification, avoiding debt in your life, a debt. Now, sometimes there are real issues. Sometimes sometimes tragedy strikes, okay? We're not talking about tragedy. Tragedy can come, sickness can come, diseases can come, amen, and it can saddle you. It can devastate you. I, 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 I've lived through that personally in my own life. I know what that's like to have thousands of dollars in medical bills and, and, and not have the means to pay for it and to fall into a gap where... You, you can't get assistance and you don't have insurance and all that stuff and to have your dig yourself out or pull yourself up if you can by your own bootstraps and dig your way out of a hole. I know what all that's like. And I'm here to tell you, God is faithful. So I'm not condemning someone for having tragedy come to your house. That's okay. That is okay. That doesn't mean you're a bad person, but there's a difference between that tragedy coming And us just living in some vicarious way where we just, I got to have, I got to have, I got to have. And we bury ourselves down so much... And then all of a sudden we're in such an unhealthy place that now we can't go one month and and all of a sudden I'm running out and now I lost everything because I had all of this stuff and it was taking away from me. Amen. So we've got to learn to live, delay gratification in our life. Go to Proverbs 22 and verse 7. Proverbs 22 and 7, it says this, The rich ruleth over the poor... And the borrower is servant to the lender. Now, in some ways, this could be construed or taken as a mean, vindictive kind of passage, but that's not the case. If you go back to the context of the day and age in which this was penned, what they were saying was the rich ruleth over the poor in the sense that they had freedom. This was not glorifying riches. Or money by any measure. Because in Proverbs, I've made a list of equally how much better the poor are than the rich. There's there's that balance too. But what this is saying is if you have money and you're not, you're not a slave, you don't have to go and, and worry about what's going on because you're contented in your life. Uh, uh, There's a liberty that is there. However, the borrower is servant to the lender. What does that mean? That means that money is managing you. Money is dictating when you get up and when you go to bed at night. Money is dictating what you do, what liberties you have, what freedoms you have in your life. Now, again, sometimes... There are a lot of times in the proverbs in, in in scripture where the poor are honored or spoken about how they are more righteous than the rich. The issue is not money. The issue is how you have made wise choices in your life. The Bible says this, that little, the little that a righteous man hath is better, anybody know what I'm talking about, is better than the riches of many wicked. Somebody find that passage for me. I don't have that in my notes. Somebody find that. Pull that up on your Bible or use your concordance or something there. The little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. So again, the Bible is not glorifying riches, but what it's saying here is that if you make unwise choices and you're always borrowing, always borrowing, that's one of the things I hate about our society today is that you can't go to the store and buy something and they want to sign you up for a credit card. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, you're buying, you're, you're, you're buying something, you can't buy something online. And they would, I was buying something the other day that was like, I don't know, it was 20 bucks online. But if I signed up for a credit card to buy that $20 item, then it was only going to be like two bucks or something like that. And think of all that money I'd save. I was like, uh, uh, ain't no way. Ain't no way. It's not worth it. So you've got to make wise choices and then under learning to make wise choices, we also have to learn to make the most of life and that would lead us to the issue of investing, multiplying our talents, not by sloth, not living by sloth or fear. Jesus Christ himself gave a parable talking about how to take one talent and two talent and five talents and to turn those talents into something else. And he expected, he was talking about that. There was two reasons why it wouldn't happen. One was sloth or laziness. And the second one was fear. I went and I hid it, I buried it, I was afraid. So I didn't do anything. These issues are not money, but laziness and fear will manifest in your Life through the practice of money. So how wise you are as a person, and again, this is all connected, is going to be directly tied to how wise you are with your money. Now, this was a little principle that I practiced, observed sometimes in life. When I was a campus pastor at Bible college, we were required to do dorm inspection, and I had to go just to make sure that, you know, we were still up to health code and there wasn't anything horrible going on. It wasn't really, wasn't military. We weren't trying to make sure that their bed was, you know, th- their sheets and, and the blankets were all straight and everything was tucked in and the pillow fluffed just right. We were just trying to make it reasonable. And there was something to be said about the people whose rooms were just absolutely a mess and a wreck. Sometimes they'd have good godly character, but that was also reflective a lot of times of life, of life. That is the same. Now, does that mean you can't have piles of laundry in your house? Well, I hope not because... Amen. We all probably have piles of laundry in our house somewhere. um, I think everybody needs a room or a garage where they can just throw everything that they're not sure what to do with, right? A basement, an attic, something like that, a closet, you know how it is. But there is something telling about our spiritual life that will translate to your money. Now, it may not happen immediately, but I'm going to tell you, when Jesus becomes Lord of your life, there is a matriculation that goes into every avenue of your life, and it will impact and bless in your money also. Somebody said, praise the Lord. So the third thing under how you manage money, the third thing is giving. Giving. Now, listen to this. Here we are in this world, and yet God has the audacity to expect us to give money. How audacious is that of God? Well, I tell you this it's not only expected, it's commanded, it's instructed, it's encouraged, amen, that we be a people. That give, that give in the Old Testament, the principle of giving was something that was solidified in the law of Moses. And it played out in, in, in the principle of tithing. And as it, uh, uh, an agriculture kind of society and and, and shepherds and livestocks, and uh, uh they they would give of their substance, of their increase, they would give. And there were certain requirements and, and things that are all equaled out. And the principle was this that you will honor God, and if you will honor God here, God will bless you. Amen. As if you had retained the whole, but there was something that happened. There was something that happened when they gave. When they gave and they said about, by the way, it was not a specific amount. It wasn't a designated amount, but it was always a percentage. It was, it was equal no matter the amount. So if you had a great harvest or a small harvest, it wasn't the amount that was set. It was a percentage. And when they gave, when they made this sacrifice to give a percentage. There was a budget that was implied. They had to plan, okay, we're going to give 10%. So that means I've got 90% to work with, but I've got to leave the corners of the field for those that would come by and glean. And so I'm I'm only going to be working with this percentage, and then I've got to save for a little bit. So they all of a sudden had to become intentional about life. They had become good stewards of what God had. And when they were giving, when they saw fit to measure out and to give, amen, to God of the first fruits, it gave them better stewardship, better idea. It gave them better parameters. They were able to operate on better margins in their life, and it blessed them. God said this. When you go to the promised land, he said every seventh day, you're going to take a day of rest. You're not going to work. That means 52 times a year, you're going to lose a day of work. 52 days of work are going to be lost. He said, but you, Israel, will be blessed as much or more than all the pagan nations around you that are working 365 days a year. If you will give the 10%, God will do more with the 90% than if you give the 10%. Again, it's not about the amount. It's not about the measure. We get to the New Testament, and they did not only give 10%, (laughs) <laughs> they would practice sometimes giving all. It wasn't limited to 10%. It was not limited. It was not a check on the box where you just said, okay, I come. And uh, I've given my 10%, so I'm good. It's time for you to give your 10%. The Bible says, no, that they would come, they would sell houses, they would sell lands, they would sell things, and they would come and they would give to the cause of the church and they would share. And their giving was not limited. It was to be given out of a cheerful heart, not grudgingly. It was to be done joyously. It was to be given as you could, as the need was there. And here was the result. Money didn't manage them. They manage money. We don't get out of Acts chapter 2. Now, I know we're really good about Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4. And I know we're really, really good at Acts chapter 2, verses 37, 38, and 39. But we don't get out of Acts chapter 2. And the Bible says they sold their goods. They had all things in common. No one had need of anything because they gave. I'm going to tell you, this is a very spiritual principle. Could you imagine what would happen if the 95% of Christians decided all of a sudden that they were going to start giving to God, and they would give just more than they spent on media to the kingdom of God? Could you imagine how many churches and how many things could be established around the world Could you imagine that? So I'm here to challenge you. I'm here to challenge you. Do you manage money or does money manage you? If you never give to the kingdom of God and to the cause of Christ, and I don't, don't, by the way, as pastor, I don't lord over the giving contribution statement here, just so you know. I don't pay attention to that every week. I do sign the contribution statement at the end of the year, so I I see. But I can almost pretty much tell in the spirit I don't need to know who's giving, who's not giving. And by the way, there's more ways to give than just financially too. There are more ways to give than just a check going in or, or money going into the offering plate. But you can usually tell and sense someone's spirit. And sometimes people don't want to give for uh, uh, a tax a tax uh, deduction. They don't want to know. Sometimes they just put it in the plate. Hey, it doesn't matter. I'm just giving. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter. It's not. It, it is to give out of your own heart, out of your own willingness. And there are other ways to give. But I'm here to tell you this: that if you're if you're speaking in tongues every time you come to church, but you're never contributing to the kingdom of God, then you are viewing the church. Amen. From a consumer mentality instead of a kingdom mentality. We don't come to church and say, well, that's the preacher's job and that's this person's job. No, I am a part of the body of Christ. I am a part of the function of the kingdom of God. And if I want to make a difference, I've got to invest in the kingdom of God. Well, somebody say, praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Here's what he says in giving. He says, it's not the amount or the achievement of the giving that matters it is the condition of your heart that is manifested when you give and jesus proved this when he said the widow that gave a mite gave of her substance was giving more than those that came and gave of their abundance amen i'm going to tell you a dollar could mean more than a million dollar check from somebody else because it all is about the condition of the heart. Every man according as he has purposed in his heart, 2 Corinthians 9 and 7, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. I'll just say this, and I'm going to go on to the next point as we wrap this up that in every season of want and need i can tell you this god you can never outgive god you can never outgive god you can never outgive god and i'm going to tell you the first thing i do i make a budget every every month for my life i've done this for i don't know how many years now a couple decades probably i've paid tithes on my income since i've since I started, and there 's been times where I needed to do other stuff, but I always kept a record. I always made sure that I would try to cover everything and on my budget in life, i put that at the very top that is the first bill it 's not a bill because i do it I do it lovingly. Uh, I do it joyfully it 's not a bill, but it 's more important than a bill, and I put that as the first item on the budget for the month. It is more important to me than the water bill. Amen. Yeah. And you got to have water. Amen. Yeah. It is more important to me than the car payment. Yeah. Amen? Amen. And if you will treat it like that, I promise you, you will never outgive God. There have been times where I've wondered, God, how am I going to make it? And I can testify this is strong. You say, well, pastor, you just don't know what's up. You don't know what the problem is. You don't know what's going on. No, I do know what's going on. It's that your spirituality stops at the altar. And you've got to get it in your heart that God, I want you to affect everything. And and don't get me wrong, I'm not preaching against anybody that's saying that they're hurting. But what I am preaching is I'm preaching against the spirit that comes and holds on to everything. And then you're going to badmouth the church and you're going to talk bad about, well, they won't do this and they won't do that and they won't do this. No, it's because you haven't released the blessings of the Lord in, in your life. God has, I have seen it time and time again. I don't know if they were angels, but I'm gonna tell you if if they weren't, there was no connection, and God has literally put people in my path to give me money. God has given me food. God has given me transportation. God has given me wheels. God has given me housing. God has provided, and I have never... You know how many times I've lived at life where I've been tempted to say, man, if I can just hold off on my ties this month and catch up on all my bills... Hear me, somebody. I'll catch up later on. And you know what? I felt no, God, I'm going to put this to the test. He said in Micah, He said, prove me and see if I will pour out a blessing. Yes. Yes. Some of you don't believe me. I know what it's like to look at, at a $14,000 medical bill. 20 years ago, wondering how in the world am I going to pay this? I have no money, and all I can do is sell my car. I might get $2,000 for my car, and that's it. How am I going to do this? And God make a way, and God come through, and God provide, and do a miracle. I've seen it happen time and time again. I'm here to tell you, money is not the problem is what happens right here. God will provide. God will supply. Do we or do we not believe that God will never leave us or nor forsake us? Amen. Amen. He will. He will not. But we have to put Him first. And when we put Him first, amen, God takes care of everything. So I'm here to challenge you as Christians this. Why stop at 10%? Why stop at 10%? Why do we say, oh, well, I gave my 10% and there it is. How much, how much do I need in life? How, how, I mean, how much do I need in life? Now, the only need as pastor that I have that I'll reserve this right is I need more Bibles. I just, you know, I, so, so don't go tell my, don't tell my wife that I don't need anything. I, I got to convince her I need more Bibles. I, I love collecting Bibles. I love buying Bibles and all that stuff. I love giving away Bibles. I love giving. Most of them I give away, so that's, I guess that helps. But but how much stuff do I, at what point in life, at what point? I'm, I'm talking about radical apostolic living of money. At what point in life do I say I really need the Mars vacation? Is that is it Mars or is it is it Moon? Are we going to the Moon? Is, are we going to Mars? Is that the latest thing? Did anybody else see that? Thank you. I'm not the only one. But we're we're going to Mars or the Moon? Mars. I don't know when that is, but I think the Moon's a vacation coming up, and I don't know how much that's going to cost. But do I really need to go to the Moon for vacation? Like, I can think of some people that maybe I want to send to the Moon. But that's for the next. That's the next part of. <laughs> but how much do I need in life or how much do I want to give to the kingdom of God? Well, it's up to you. It's up to you. It's in your spirit. Amen. Give according as you desire. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter number, uh, Matthew chapter number six, he says, lay not up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt where thieves do not break through or steal. Now, I'm running out of time tonight, so I'm just going to stop here because money is a big issue and people is a big issue in our life. And so we've talked about this a little bit, but we do need to talk about this. And the big question in people is this, do you succeed in relationships? Do you succeed in relationships? If your life is full of failed relationships time and time again, you might want to take stock of what's going on in your inner man, in your inner being. The same with finances. You can be poor and still live in a way where money does not manage you. The apostles said this, didn't they? They said, we're rich or we're poor, and yet we're rich. Paul said at times, you know, I've I've got want, I've got needs, but I've learned I'm content. Whatever state I am, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. You know, some people don't know how to live for God poor. Some people don't know how to live for God rich. Some people don't know how to live for God in the in-between. But if you're really living for God and His Word is really at play in your life, you'll live for God whether you're poor or rich. You'll live for God if you're rich alongside someone who's poor. You'll live for God if you're poor alongside someone who's rich. Because it's not about money, Paul says, therewith to be content. I'm content in the things of God. So the question is, do you manage money or does money manage you? The second question is this, how do you succeed in relationships? How do you succeed in relationships? And I'll tell you this, that everything you have in life will ultimately be measured in relationships. Everything you have in life will ultimately be measured in relationships. There is no life outside of the context of relationships. What good is adventure if you have no one to share it with? No one to share it to. What good is discovery if you have no one to share it with? What good is achievement if there is no one to benefit from it? What good is your vanity if there is no one around to affirm you? Ultimately, our life is measured in relationships, relationships with people. God put this in us, and He gives us as the second commandment, Mark chapter 12 and verse 31, and the second is like, namely this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is no other commandment, none other commandment greater than these. I do feel that if we get the first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength to be able to put him first. Seek the kingdom of God first. Lay not up for ourselves treasures in earth but lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, I do believe that if we love God with all of our heart, the money issue won't be an issue for us. And I do believe that the second big issue is people. We've got to learn to love other people. Do we succeed in relationships? Stand together with me tonight. And we'll talk about this a little bit more next week. But you should be full of the Holy Ghost. You should be full of the baptism of the Spirit of God in your life. You should be living an overcoming life over sin. You've got to win the battle of self, and you've got to win the battle of surrendering to God. But once you surrender to God, practically, how does that trickle down and translate into our life? How should I be able to see it play out? Well, you'll see it play out in two things, and that is money, and that is relationships in your life. And I believe that God can help us with this. Now, I'm not an expert. I haven't, I haven't won all the battles. I haven't got everything right. But I'm still learning. But I do know that there is a powerful thing when you let the Word of God work inside of your life. Here's where, here's where I want to live. When God speaks to me, Brother Killian, and tells me to go somewhere or do something... I don't want to go or not go based on money. And I don't want to go or not go based on people in relationships. I don't want people to look at something and say, well, I can't go there because of the money. No, I'm going to tell you, God will take care of you. If God called you, God will equip you. And then the second thing is relationships. We've got to work out the relationships in our own life. This pandemic has been hard on many people. It's been hard. Some people have enjoyed it. Some people have said, man, it's been great. It's been a time of refreshing, but it's been very hard and difficult in other things. And one of these things that come to the surface in difficult times is how well we're doing at this. I believe by the help of the Holy ghost that we are to be the church And Jesus said, you're to be a light unto the world, a city that is set on the hill. Amen. As the world marginalizes a conservative voice, the church will stand in testimony of God's power, just like the children of Israel did in the Old Testament. What should stand out about the church is not to the world is not that we speak in tongues. Now, if they hang around a prayer meeting, they're going to see that. But when they meet us in Walmart, when they drive past our house, when they see us shoveling snow or mowing grass or working in our neighborhood, what should stand out about the church is the contentment we have and the faithfulness of God's provision. Amen and the well-being of relationships in our own life, the health of how God has healed us, redeemed us, restored us, blessed us, and strengthened us. And that's what I'm striving for. That's what I want to have in my life. That's what I want to be leveraged in my life. Would you lift your hands with me tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your message. I thank you for the power of the Holy Ghost, and I thank you for the witness of your Spirit. I thank you for every man and woman, every family, every marriage, every household, every individual that's represented under the sound of my voice right now. But I pray, God, that our spirituality would not just stop at the altar, but, Lord, let the blessing of the Holy Ghost, God, come into every avenue and every dynamic of our life. And I pray this today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And somebody say in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We'll follow up, amen, next week's our Bible study. It'll be the next week after that. Two things, these two things we're talking about, amen, were repeatedly requirements for bishops, for deacons, for people that worked in the church Never once, amen, did Paul say, if a man be a bishop, you got to clock how many hours he speaks in tongues. But the first thing he said, he said, go to his house, see how well he is there. Then see how good his reputation is without. Make sure he ain't greedy of filthy lucre. Make sure he manages everything right. And that's the measure of spiritual maturity and leadership in the church. Amen. These are big issues for life. Thank you. Give a great big hand to all of our church family. Amen. Still at home, all of our elders our shut-ins. We love you. God bless you. Amen. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.